Welcome to the Better Clinician Podcast with myself, Ben Cormack, and also Adam Meekins. The Better Clinician Project brings you high-quality education at a ridiculously low price. This podcast will bring you topics that are relevant to modern clinical practice, all done with a bit of fun and humour. Nothing in this podcast constitutes medical advice. Welcome to the first BCP podcast. And in this episode, Adam and Ben take an excerpt from their very, very popular Thoughtful Thursday feature where they discuss relevant topics in rehab. So we, uh, we've got only one topic for today's Thoughtful Thursday, but I think a fairly meaty, juicy topic, which is the idea of exercise dosage. Um, and I think it was uh, something sparked by Bob, wasn't it, in, in the BCP Facebook group? Yep. So um, Bob Hessels put a comment about, again, dosage, but also I think he was mainly talking about exercise intensity. How do we... Right. How do we regulate exercise intensity? Because there is a, a lot of talk in physiotherapy rehab circles now around various different ways of measuring intensity when we're giving out exercises, which I think is good and I think is great, but it's not yeah. always applicable to all people and all populations that we work with. So using these strength and conditioning measurements that are often banded around things like rate of perceived exertions repetitions yep. in reserve ri rpes and rirs yep. uh, are all well and great and can be used in rehab particularly you know in sportier individuals particularly in later stage type of rehabilitation settings but you know i think the tricky bit comes in when we're dealing with obviously acute irritable presentations and people you know, with lots of pain, lots of sensitivity, how do we appropriately dose or regulate the intensity of the exercises there, Ben? Well, look, I mean, it's... Uh, I don't think that... I, for me, if, we, if we're looking at this acute stage, right, my number one goal, actually, for those that come in who are in a lot of pain is actually with exercise, my number one goal is not to make the problem worse. Yeah. So Does that's that another sense? question is, is, do we need to even worry about the intensity at all in some situations? Do we need to be measuring it, quantifying it at all? Well, I suppose for me, we do. But the aim isn't to get the... The aim is to get the appropriate intensity, but the appropriate intensity isn't a required high intensity. Does that make sense? I think one of the big arguments is we need more intensity from our exercise because yeah. otherwise you'll underload people. Yeah, yeah. Whereas actually in those acute stages, my biggest thing is how can I get this minimal effective dose? So I'm getting the intensity enough to make a difference in whatever I'm trying to achieve, which could be a lot of things across a biopsychosocial spectrum. But the biggest thing I don't want to do is make the problem worse. And I actually think that puts a lot of people off using exercise because how many times have you given someone with, you know, raging back pain, a little exercise, and what's it done? It's pissed off their back and it's made them worse and you know, that, 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 that has made them think that maybe the exercise isn't the right thing for them. 
I don't know what you're talking about. That's never happened to me ever in my entire 20-year career, mate. So I've got You've never made no... anyone worse with an never. exercise ever, ever, ever. Well, absolutely no fucking idea what you're on about there at all. Every time I see somebody, I make them better instantly there and then. Well, um, just no, so great... right like that. You don't even do. You just get on the shoulder and just yeah, just just from, from about six inches, just move. <laughs> But no, you make some great points there. You're right. When it comes to when we discuss intensity, everybody thinks because of the term implies high intensity. Yes. So yeah, I, I think that's a great point is that, you know, sometimes the best intensity is lower intensity uh, in some situations, in some individuals. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing there as well is, is talking about intensity. We have to, to consider, you know, if we're going to try and quantify or gauge uh, an intensity of an exercise during a rehab session, we have to also uh, recognize and take into account the patient's pain, irritability and sensitivity and their levels yeah, there as yeah. well. And, and I love your little rule of 10 that you came out with many, many years ago. And I still use that quite a lot in clinics. And I think that's a nice little way of, you know, using, you know, an intensity rating of an exercise, but alongside their severity and irritability and levels of pain. And, and it's not rocket science, as I know, because you're not a rocket scientist, but... I'm a rocket surgeon. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's basically saying that when pain intensity is high, you're going to keep the exercise intensity low. But when the pain intensity is low, you could try to increase the exercise intensity. So, you know, just use that rule of 10 with your visual analog score and your rate of perceived exertion. So if pain is five out of 10, you've got another five points to play around with on the exercise intensity. Now, I don't think everybody needs to hit 10 all the time, but you probably could use those five points above uh, to play around with. Now, if somebody's got eight out of 10 pain, You've only got two points to play around with yeah. on your exercise. Yeah, yeah. So it's just a nice way to try and, I think, gauge how much intensity during this session for this particular person should I be using. Yeah, because I think one of the things that we do is we tend to divorce the idea of exercise from the person that's doing it, if that makes sense. So the exercise, this is the intensity of the exercise. These are the reps, et cetera, et cetera. But that makes no sense if you're rehabbing someone who's one person's got eight out of 10 pain, one person's got two out of 10 pain. Um, it it kind of makes no sense. Now, one of the things I do want to point out is there are a bunch of times I've kept the intensity really, really low and still managed to piss people off. And, you know, and there are other times that... Yeah, but that's I've just actually, face, though, mate. That could just be my face. That could be that placebo effect. But there's also other times where I've kept the intensity really low and I and actually the person surprised me and has could push right. In fact, you know those times where people have pushed through, you've thought, oh, they're gonna flare up tomorrow. And they've been like, no, I was absolutely fine, no problems. So it is a very inexact science, but I think what I'm really trying to do is just say, have a little bit of a think about pain and irritability when you think about the intensity of an exercise. Yeah, and I agree. And I also think the other thing to consider is, you know, is, is durations, behaviours and attitudes towards pain as well, because that also can help guide you as to whether, you know, how much intensity you do or don't need to use. So I think, you know, seeing yeah. somebody that's in a chronic state, lots of anxiety, lots of stress, lots of worry going on, 
perhaps, you know, that little bit of avoidance behavior kicking in, you know, they're very reluctant to do things. They think they've got some negative beliefs and associations around the pain as well. You're probably going to think about not always avoiding pain in your rehab sessions. You're probably going to use a little bit of this exposure graded therapy approach to try and, you know, push them, challenge them, violate those expectations a little bit. But you're going to do that, you know, carefully, gradually, compassionately to see what reaction you do or don't get. And obviously test and retest. But then there's individuals that will come in that are a bit gung-ho, they're st- irritable, but they're carrying on doing things that just sensitize and irritate things. And these individuals, you're trying to do the opposite. You're going to say to them, look, let's calm it down, let's back away, let's see if we can avoid the pain for a period of time, just let shit calm down, as Greg would say, and build it back up later on. Yeah, I think that there is some good data out there that says that if you allow people to avoid it actually builds in more avoidance, Yeah, if that makes sense. So so these kind of, you know, these avoidance behaviours that people have, uh, actually they're kind of self-prophesizing so that, that actually, you know, confront, confronting some of these, although I'm not sure I like the term confronting particularly, um, but, you know, Why I think these kind of, pardon? You're so fear avoidant with words. Why don't you like confronting? You didn't like education not so long ago either. Well, I know. I, I, I don't know if I'm fear avoidant of words. I just don't like them. So uh, I'm not, you know, it's, there's people that I don't like. I don't particularly avoid them. Um, so oh, you have to put up with me every fucking Oh, week. fucking hell. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. You know, my, my self-efficacy for Adam has risen dramatically. <laughs> the Adam self-efficacy index, it, I score exceptionally highly on. Um, yeah, so I, I just think that, I think that, you know, sometimes we're like, well, you, you know, this person, they're, they're, they're fear avoidant. Maybe we need to avoid more with them. But I think that actually kind of gets that loop kind of going. And that's why sometimes that more confrontational type of approach can be better. The only thing I will say is that, again, you know, like all of these things, does it come back to engagement and trust? So, yeah, I think that's the mistake that people often make. Again, they're not thinking about the the person and the relationship maybe. The, The first time, let's say I have someone who doesn't move very much, you know, they're not loading, they're not doing any of these different things, very fearful of, of these type of things. How much do we push into a little bit of pain, I think, is the question. Well, again, I've been saying this for years and years and years. The only way you can get somebody to do something that's painful, that's difficult, that's hard, that's awkward, is if that person trusts, respects and likes yes, Absolutely. And I think so that's not discussed enough. It all comes back down to our communication skills, comes back down to our therapeutic alliance building skills, because patients aren't going to do things that hurt, that feel uncomfortable if they think you're a knobhead. They think they've got some fears that it's it's risky, it's dangerous, it's not the right thing to do. So if you haven't questioned or qu- challenged those sort of thoughts and beliefs, they're just simply not going to do it. They may do it under supervision with you then, but when you ask them to do it elsewhere, they're just fucking not going to do it. So, yeah. yeah, I totally agree with you, mate, that at the, the end of the day, you know, when it comes to gauging intensity, you know, whether you're going to give high intensity or low intensity, the patient has to understand why and they have to feel safe and they have to trust that this is the right thing to do. And I think the other thing is also we've got to do is is give people and our patients a little bit of, you know, credibility to be able to self-regulate. You know, yeah, I think yeah. sometimes we, we we jump in thinking that we're the experts and we know exactly what to do here for this particular person in this particular situation. And at the end of the day, 
a lot of people ain't stupid. There are a few stupid people out there, but yeah. a lot of people aren't stupid. And, yeah. you know, self-regulation is like, you know, asking the patient, how do you think? What do you think you can do? How much do you think you can do? These are, are much better ways to gauge and judge the intensity a lot for the exercises with people we give. Yeah, and again, it's that collaborative way of working, isn't it? And, I, you know, um, I remember I used to work in, 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 in the West End of London and there was a little gym <laughs> and some treatment rooms. Obviously, I'm a better standard of person than you um and you know uh, most of my time was spent going out into the gym and doing things with people and that wasn't really particularly about you know making sure the exercise was done correctly and coaching and all these other things I think it was just about letting people experience what we were talking about and let them experience how it felt and get the uh, and you know if they had any questions or their input um, so again, it, it's kind of that collaborative stuff. And I think that's probably, you know, the biggest part of exercise sometimes isn't the sets and the reps. It's actually getting out there and letting someone experience it, give you feedback uh, and these type of things. And I think that kind of coaching mentality and this two way, you know, element to it, it is, is under, you know, recognized. Yeah, no, totally agree, mate. And I'm glad you brought up sets and reps as well, because I want to talk about that. Because again, I am seeing, you know, in, in some circles, conversations about, you know, what are the optimal sets and reps to use in certain types of rehab. Uh, and I think there are a lot of unanswered questions here. And I think there's a lot of people going around with lots of certainty that's um, not really well supported when it comes to saying these are the, the exercise prescriptions and dosages to use. I'm thinking mainly, you know, things like tendinopathy rehab with their isometric yeah. times under tension and how long you need to have your rest periods. And I'm like, that's not set in stone. There is a lot of variation in individual, you know, variants there going on. And so when I see people demonizing certain different exercise prescriptions, you know, three times 10 has had a lot of flack in the years. And rightly so, because I do think it can be used as a lazy prescription, but any sets and reps prescription can be used lazily and poorly mm. in certain situations. So again, I don't think we need to demonize three sets of 10. It can be a very good exercise well, prescription look, for some people. It's just You're not going to like this at all, but I do think sometimes the rise of things like strength and conditioning has created some Monster. problems as much as it's as much as it's solved because it's, you know, we're talking about exercise science. Yeah. Now I think exercise science has much more consistency of how it affects healthy human beings than it does when we bring it into rehabilitation. I think they are, they are not the same beasts. No, and I think no, I the, thing about I, S, yeah. the thing about S and C is it is about quantifying. It is about having the right program. It's like this people gravitate towards it because it's this scientific side of exercise, isn't it? But even, you know still, I mean? even still, there are now, again, in the S&C circles, there's still a lot of unanswered questions. There's still a lot oh, well, of our friend Brad opposes all of them. <laughs> exactly. About, you know, what is the optimal zones to work in? What is the best intensities? And as much as the S&C community think they've got it sorted out and it's an exact science and you've got to follow these rules and these protocols, Again, there's more and more research is coming out just blowing that out of the water, saying, yeah. no, it doesn't matter if you do that, it doesn't matter if you do this, the outcomes are fairly similar. There's very little 
statistical difference between whether you do it this way or that way. So again, you know, although the SNC community does like that, I still think they're beginning to realize it's not as simple as that. But no, I agree with what you're saying there. Two different populations, SNC and physiotherapy work with, you know, completely different populations. And although I do think there's some crossover, and I do think there is, some, yeah, there is some commonality and some, you know, things that we can both learn from each other here. And I do think they fit together very well. You're right. I do yeah. think there's a lot of unnecessary complexity and a lot of uh, very, you know, unsupported uncertainty uh, certainty in there. Yeah. Uh, I, I, the other um, thing that I wanted to point out was when you start to look at individual data points within research, and people like Seth O'Neill have done this with isometrics, is when you look at individuals when you apply um, parameters that are equal across people, you give everyone the same dosage, you tend to see a variety of responses. So I give everyone this isometrics, 45 seconds, 7 out of 10, whatever, blah de blah de blah When you look at the data, dependent on baseline pain, dependent on individual response, the information is all over the place. And one of the reasons that I thought of the rule of 10, which isn't really a rule in any way, shape or form, is because if we think about the baseline, does that have an effect on the outcome? And I think it does probably. So we sometimes need to adjust dosage based on the presentation of the person. And maybe we might get a more homogenous response. At the moment, we're seeming to take a very, very homogenous dosage and getting very heterogeneous or varied results. And I think that has a lot to do with not taking into account the person who has the problem. Yeah, no, I agree, mate. And again, that's some of the limitations with RCTs is that, you know, you get 10 people in a trial, you apply a set prescription of exercises. <laughs> yeah, and one one result pops out, but you know, yeah. five of those people had a really good response to that exercise prescription. The other five had a really negative response to that prescription, and so those five positives and those five negatives equal out. And so the conclusion of the trial is there is no different, there is no effect with this exercise prescription. I'm like, hang on, there is. You got five people really, really worse with it, and you got five people really, really better with it. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's. And I think if we were to get drug trial size samples, so you got 5,000 people in an exercise RCT, you could probably say the mean is much of a better reflection yeah. of a population. And that's the point of a confidence interval, isn't it? That the bigger the sample size, the more the, the, the narrower the confidence interval. But when you're getting 25 people in a study, you get someone who has a, a 10 response and a zero response. You know, you, I mean, you could say they cancel each other out, but any high or low responder is going to, not a non or a responder, a high or low responder, they are going to skew the results because yeah. that's what that does in a small sample. I so, this, uh, sorry to plug my own podcast on the BCP, but no! I, had, <laughs> I had this this great chat with Jill Hayden who did the Cochrane yeah. Systematic Review on the exercise for back pain, and she said exactly the same thing. The trouble with a lot of the back pain research is the figures and the numbers are just too small in these RCTs to yeah. show any meaningful statistical effects, and so we are getting lots and lots of data that's so-called showing no effect or no significant effect when we just need bigger numbers perhaps to see it yeah you could do i mean there is also an argument that you do get false positives don't you sometimes with more statistics more likelihood of significance with a bigger number but you know you know i have been saying this stuff about exercise for bloody years and no one no one's listened to me and you bloody well know i have no, right. no, no fuckers listen no, to me no, uh, <laughs> see, you see this mate you see what that is 
So there this week was a, a paper that came out on exercise for back pain, Aiden Cashin, I think. Um, and I read it and it just read to me like a blog I wrote back in 2015 on exercise for back pain. You know, you know, it, what, you know what they're going to say, where you should have put it. Well, it, well, it wasn't it, peer reviewed. Didn't, didn't peer review it. <laughs> should, have got, should have sent it in and got it peer reviewed then, shouldn't you? Should have peer reviewed it. Um, but yeah, and I, you know, I, I just thought that you, you just go, go with the data and, and, and I think it will let you know. But I think with dosage, we need to move away from the idea that we know dosage before the person's turned up. It, you know, if you want to, uh, uh, here we go, I'm going to make a caveat to that. That probably relates more for painful presentations. Maybe that changes as people become less painful. And I agree. And I think, you know, we can start to get a little bit more specific and a little bit more sciencey with our dosage prescriptions. You're right. I think as pain starts to decrease, so end stage rehab and all that sort of stuff, that's where I think, you know, rate of perceived exertions. Yeah, our, our, our reps in reserve, which I think is a really useful way of quantifying intensity in exercise, particularly with resistance-based exercises, obviously. Um, and, I, and I think that's where all that sort of stuff definitely comes into its own, you know, that later stage, return to play type or return to activity, return to work, return to occupation, whatever it is, type of rehab, that absolutely comes into, into and, play. And is this, this really, for me, highlights the challenges, you know, of, of doing what we do, because so far we've talked about being caring and understanding, understanding evidence and research, understanding pathology, understanding SNC, understanding pain. There is no wonder this job is bloody challenging. <laughs> yeah, we, we have to be, what's the same, masters of all of them, but none jack of the trades of one or the other, or the other way around. <laughs> jack of, a master jack of, of, all, a, a, jack of, a master of none. Master of none. That's yeah. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it perhaps me. we're the other way around. Perhaps we have to be masters of all the trades and jack of none of them. Yeah, but I do think, you know, I would definitely regard myself as a generalist over a, a specialist. You know, I, I, I am mediocre at a lot of subjects, including pain, research, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and sometimes I think that can be beneficial. I think we need really strong experts in each of these areas as well. But to be out there working with patients, I think you just need to know a lot, a, 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 a medium bit about a lot of these subjects rather than sometimes like a PhD who knows a hell of a lot only about something that's quite small. Yep, no, I agree, mate. I think I say the wider your knowledge base, the better, but it does get harder the more you try to expand your knowledge base because you start to remember one thing and something else drops out the other side of your ear because you're forgetting it. <laughs> oh, it just, just sort I think, of I, just, it I, think I just saw it, Adam. <laughs> I read one thing and the last paper I just read pops out. Well, it's on your shoulder. Like, what was that? <laughs> yeah, what's that? Oh, it's a paper I read last week. <laughs> no, I do. How often do you read a paper and then about halfway through you think, actually, I've read this? Yeah, I've done that <laughs> numerous times. I'm like, oh, this feels familiar. And then suddenly I'm like, oh, I've read it. I've wasted, you know, however long uh, reading that paper. I've done quite a bit of reading, actually, over the last week, strangely. I went off reading for a bit, but I seem to be back on it again. Yeah, but you do know you've got to read scientific papers, mate. The Beano and the Dandy doesn't count. Oh, no, I love the Beano. That's my Roy of the Rovers for me, buddy. It's all about Roy of the Rovers, not any of that Beano and Dandy stuff. You know, I've got to come on in the last minute and win the FA Cup every week. Yeah. Was, was the <laughs> Desperate Dan as well? Was it Desperate Dan? Well, Desperate Dan is the Dandy, isn't it? Yeah. Cow pie. That was the one, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean again, you know, that, that had just come out when you were like 30, hadn't it? Oi. <laughs> 
Oh, I do love a bit of BCP teasing. Well, people, I hope you have enjoyed uh, a little thoughtful Thursday, a little bit of a chat about Thanks, Bob, for the question. Thanks, Bob. Big up to Bob. Big up, Bob, Bob. Big up, Bob. Um, Posing some really interesting questions. And I think the thing is, is that two things come out of this, uh, you know, Dosages aren't really very preset, unfortunately. There's a lot of different factors that can influence Don't them. let any knobhead tell you off for using so-called incorrect dosages. That's what winds me up. Oh, my God, you've used three sets of ten. You're so lazy. Bad. Look at you, lazy boy. How bad are you? <laughs> I, use, I only use five sets of five. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, five. The biggest problem here is if you use three sets of ten and that person could have gone on and done 70... You know, that, that's, the, that's the biggest problem, isn't it? Well, I, again, I think one of the things I'm just going to finish off with, I think my best dosage guidance and parameters a lot of the time is do as many reps as you feel you're able to do. Yeah, but what is your... Okay, I'm going to caveat that. No. Because I think... No, that, no, 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 no. You can't because that AMRAP is a fucking good way to dose exercise. Yeah, but what about if my fitness is better than my tolerance? But then it's self-regulating because your tolerance will kick in before your fitness. Yeah, but some people go through that. They might have high pain self-efficacy. So I just think we need to caveat that with what in is what some is the situations, there's nothing wrong with that. You said so yourself. In some situations, you think it's going to fuck them up and it doesn't. So again, I think we've got to give patients the benefit of yeah. knowing their bodies more and not jump in and start going, oh my God, you've got to stop. You've oh. got to do yourself some harm. No, no yeah. So I, I think you, we could say, you know, we, we either reach fatigue or, you know, it becomes painful. Maybe that, Self-regulate. Do as yeah. many reps as you feel like you can. You haven't told them to stop because of pain. Ooh. You haven't told them to stop because of fatigue. You haven't Ooh. told them to stop because of anything. You're okay. letting them self-regulate. Right. I don't do mind as that. many reps, many as, reps as you can. I know. Yeah. So, um, again, your caveat oh, can get the fuck out of it. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Yes. So, I'm thinking more internally than if you just lay it out there and just see uh, see how that person responds and reacts. I'll just go. Regulation oh, and I'm done. I'm done. Self regulate well, all right. Now you're taking the piss because again, somebody is, yeah, but again, there's still there is if, if somebody is yeah, yeah. under doing what you think, then still it's self regulatory, they're probably doing yeah. that for other reasons. So, again, and do you know what would be really nice? Therapists of the world is taking what Adam just said with his AMRAP with a self regulatory slant, go out into the gym, grab a weight, and do it with someone. And I think that is the best advice, you know, Think uh, and let people let people experience it. Now we could end up down another conversation. I got told off in a job that I had for doing that with patients. I was told, it was, um, I got told off it was, I got told it was unprofessional to be exercising alongside your It is patients. unprofessional not to go out I was, there. And I was told that, you are that. Ma- you're making them feel bad by doing more than them. You, you're, you're showing off in front of your patients. And I'm like, no, I'm fucking not, as I'm flexing the guns, going, look no, at that. I mean, you don't, no, I don't always mean that you have to exercise with them, as in, like, you have to do it. But I certainly have to think you have to go into an environment and get them to do it in front of you and with you. 
You know, I, I'm not bothered if you go and exercise with them. I couldn't give a fuck, you know, if, if that is a benefit. And, how you know, I've had people that, you know, we've gone and done little workouts together and, you know, that, that's been brilliant, maybe more towards the end stage, et cetera. But certainly I think that, it, you know, that, that connection, that coaching, that experiencing it is the biggest thing that we miss. And actually people who do go on exercise and S&C courses, I think that is part of what they get from it is going through and experiencing these exercises, feeling the intensities. And I think that part of it may help as much as understanding the rep ranges and that kind of shit. It's maybe a therapist experiential thing. Yeah, that's a good point. You tend to find those therapists who give out sheets of 23 different exercises for patients to do. I've got absolutely no idea uh, and that's why they give out 23 exercises because yeah. they don't realise how long that will bloody take to do. Yeah, and, and you know, um, we're just going to finish on one last thing, I think, is that remember, fatigue is something real as well. Sometimes I read these protocols, like that GRASP trial, where they had five exercise sessions of however much, and I just thought, fuck, I don't do that. You know, I, 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 I go, I do a bit of tennis, I do a bit of boxing, I go for a little run, I vary the intensity dependent on how shagged I feel. And, you know, here we are, we're, we're now training the same muscle group five times a week. Do you know what I mean? I just don't understand how that fits into good exercise science, if I'm being honest. No, a lot of the time it doesn't, mate. And again, it just shows the inexperience, I think, of people coming up with rehab protocols by not actually doing them themselves and not who trains the same who trains the same muscle group five times a week well, it depends which muscle you're talking about i guess the love muscle no but it, no but who does if you go and take you know i don't know like big rammy you know some do some yeah, some, some rugby players they do legs five six seven yeah, times a week but the majority of people who exercise regularly that's the reason bodybuilders create splits because you don't train the same bit continuously. No, you're right. Very few people will do that amount of uh, intensity per muscle group. Yep. In a, in exactly. Yep. So there you go. All right. Well, look, uh, thank you, Bob. We will see you in a one month's time exactly for Thoughtful Thursday. Just remember, AMRAP and self-regulation. Thank you for listening to the BCP podcast. If you would like to check out the BCP, please go to www.betterclinicianproject.com. There we have literally hundreds of videos on clinical topics, exercise examples for rehabilitation and research reviews alongside features such as Thoughtful Thursday. And please tune in again.